Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation, a little short three-week mini-series on emotional connection and marriage. Now, please don't tune out if you are not married. This is actually quite beneficial for all of us and actually could be the most beneficial for those who haven't entered into a marriage as of yet. Because if I had known these three truths, oh my goodness, I think that many, many stages of my marriage to Rob would have been a lot simpler. But we didn't know. We had no clue. Uh, Last week, we uh, went to a wedding of a dear young couple that we love very much. And we were all called out to the dance floor. All the married couples were called to the dance floor. And I thought, oh, this is fun. I've never been involved in this before. And so the DJ played the music and we're dancing. And then he would say, those who've been married longer than a year, stay on the floor. Those who've been married longer than five years, stay on the floor. Those of you who've been married longer than 10, and it empties out. 15, and it empties out. 20, and it empties out. And 25, and empties out. 30, empties out. 35, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's us. We had just a week prior celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. And Rob and I looked at each other and we were like, holy, wow, how can this be us? And then he kept, there were, there was another couple who'd been there, married 47 years and another couple that had been married, I want to say close to 60. I think it was the grandparents of the... I don't know. Great grandparents, maybe. I'm not re- not really sure. I was so overwhelmed with the fact that Rob and I were still standing on the dance floor at 35 years. I know you hear people say, how can that be? How did we get here? How on earth has it been 35 years? But here we are. And so I thought in honor of our 35th, I want to give back. And um, the DJ had each of us say words of wisdom to the bride and groom that had just said, I do. And it was just so beautiful. I just loved it. And I thought, well, there's probably a lot of people who've experienced divorce or separation or are widowed that would have as much wisdom to share. But I just, I thought it was a cute little exercise. And I felt very, very honored and felt very grateful that Rob and I had weathered the storms, uh, so many, so many storms, to have uh, been still standing there that Friday night. Oh my goodness! So here we are. One of the fundamental truths that I think thirty-five years of marriage have taught me that have also taught Rob as well. We've talked a lot about this on our anniversary weekend, sitting under our beach umbrella, because you know that's my favorite place to be. And 
we realized that, yes, number one, first and foremost, our shared faith uh, in, in Christ, our shared belief system in our faith is definitely the primary foundation of the reason we are still together and that we're actually happy and uh, fulfilled in our relationship is our shared faith. As I wrote in my very first book that uh, Rock Solid Families, How to Transform an Ordinary Home into a Fortress of Faith, I wrote it as a 30-year-old babe, I guess. And now I go, what was I thinking? But uh, in that very first chapter of that book, I talk about one of the 12 tenets of a successful Rock Solid relationship and Rock Solid family is vision. Without vision, a people perish, we perish. You have to have vision uh, for what you want for your future, what you want for your family's future, and what you want for your marital future. And Rob and I spent a great deal of time really talking about that. And I'm so grateful. And I remember reading a book by a woman named Edith Schaefer, one of the great women of faith that helped form me in my early years through her writings, her book, What is a Family? And in that book, she talks about how a family is like a mobile, you know, like a, like a beautiful mobile. Let me find that beautiful quote on that. Excuse the paper turning. She says, God's mobile, a human being, two human beings, a family of human beings, mobiles that can reproduce, constantly changing patterns, affected by each other, inspired by each other, helped by each other. A family which is real in space and time and history with roots in the past and stretching out into the future. Is this something to be dropped, kicked, cut down, belittled, despised, lost to the 20th century, (laughs) unheard of by the 21st century? This woman was way ahead of her time in her writings. And she challenged me in that book, What is a Family? She challenged me when she wrote, picture yourself and your marriage and your family 30 years from now. Well, I was 24 when I read that book, I think. 24 or 25. I am now 59. So what I pictured then, she said, picture yourself 30 years from now at a family reunion where siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles are gathering. Picture that. Well, at the time, that was really, um, it was somewhat difficult for me, having grown up in the home of an alcoholic father, as you know, uh, who didn't spend, we did not spend a lot of time with extended family. I didn't live near grandparents. I remember visiting my paternal grandparents, grandmother, step-grandfather, in Pennsylvania, but my maternal grandparents lived in Wisconsin, and I, the last time I saw them, I was 12. Uh, and then I did see my grandmother for a very short time with my young, my oldest daughter when she was about 15, 16 months. So 
I would have been about 27, I guess. But we didn't spend time growing up with grandparents or aunts and uncles and cousins. And so for me, one of the greatest desires that I had was that my children would have that. And it just so happens that this weekend, as I am sitting here talking to you, my three children, our three children, are all together in St. Louis at my twin daughter's home, Brooke and Aaron. And they've all, my, my son and his wife drove from Kansas, and my older daughter, who lives in Uruguay, South America, was actually doing some conferences and teaching on the West Coast. So she flew into St. Louis, and all three of them are together as we speak with my beautiful grand pups, Midas and Rosie. And so I can't even begin to express the joy that I feel inside of my heart that they made such an effort to be together. It's been two years since they've seen each other as siblings uh, all together with their mates and partners. And it's just so exciting to me. And I'm so happy. And, you know, I just, I feel like that's a fulfillment of that vision that Edith Schaefer challenged me to so long ago. So I just want to, I want to ask you today, what do you see in your future? Maybe you're newly married. Maybe you're single. Maybe you have been married for 20 years. Maybe you're in the seven-year itch. Maybe you are struggling in your marriage. Uh, I, I am a marriage counselor. That's what I do a lot of my time. And so I happen to see couples that are really struggling. And that's going to lead us into what I want to talk about today. But what do you see in your future? How are you doing with the emotional and relational legacy that you're leaving behind yourself? Are there any changes you need to make in order to continue giving not only yourself, but your marriage and your children your best? How can you support one another in your marriage? How can you support each other's vision in work and mission? I love these questions and I want to ask three more questions and I maybe you just after you hear them take a little pause just hit pause and if you want take a few minutes to just breathe them in and think about them as we're moving through our conversation. Are you ready to be fully seen and fully known? Hmm. Are you ready to feel safe enough in your relationships to be your truest self? Are you ready to be fully human and yet fully, fully filled to overflow with the empowering grace of God? You know, I share with you here, I know not all of us look at the world through the lens or the frame of a Judeo-Christian worldview, but I do. And so I know that I am fully human, but I have a capacity to be filled to overflow with the character and virtues of God. And I talk a lot about that in Overcoming Hurtful Words when we talk about our beginnings, our genesis, that moment in time when God saw fit in his mind to breathe his life into us and make us a human being. 
So that's Genesis 2-7. That's our God-breathed beginnings. And I encourage you to go to my website, JanelleRairdon.com, and listen to uh, the Heartlift Method Phase 1, and you'll hear that Genesis 2-7 beginning meditative exercise. And that's a great place to start in answering these questions. Am I ready to be fully seen and known? Am I ready to feel safe enough in my relationships to be my truest self? And am I ready to be fully human and yet fully open to being filled with God's character and his virtue. Well, today, our focus today, and I know that, you know, this is um, as deep as deep can go, but I'm going to just put some boots on and we're going to just talk about a subject on a lighter level, and that subject is attachment. What on earth is attachment? Well, Textbook definition, attachment is the building of a relationship through connection. So hear me out here. In Sorry, in order to connect, there has to be a foundation of trust. It is this trust that allows us to feel safe enough to form a connection. Trust that someone cares about our needs. Trust that we can depend on them. And in infancy, trust that we can depend on our parent or caregiver to feed us, change our diaper, and comfort us when we cry. The primary attachment figure, oh, this is so, so important, is the first relationship that every person has. Ugh. And it provides a template for all future relationships. I'm going to say this again because it is so critical. And as I said, as we started, oh, I wish I had known the gravity of my uh, presence in my infant's lives. And I was very aware. I will say that I was very aware and very attuned, which is our word for next week, to the fact that being a mother was my calling and that God was giving me these children to nurture and raise in him so that they could be tremendous human beings. I'm so grateful that my husband and I did have that vision, even though we both came from alcoholic father homes where it was not the case where we both got secure attachment. So hear this again. The primary attachment figure is the first relationship that every person has. And typically, that is with the mother. Typically. that's It's atypical when it's not the mother. But it can be a foster caregiver. It can be an adoptive situation. But primary, the primary first person that connects with that infant is going to provide a template for all future relationships. Now, before you turn this off and go cry in a corner, because this is a lot to take in, I agree. When I first read all this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. But before you do that, hear me out. You know I'm here for you. That first relationship forms the foundation that each person builds upon for the rest of his or her life. If, okay, here we go, if this foundation is not secure, 
if this infant does not receive secure attachment and connection, it will impact that person and his or her relationships into the future. Oh, goodness. I want to be so, so honest with you that... I actually did not have this revelation of attachment theory, even through my master's course in my early 50s, mid 50s. It actually came after a weekend away, a girlfriend weekend away with three of my dearest friends. And we were having a birthday celebration for one of their uh, milestone birthdays. We were away at a concert, an outdoor concert. It was awesome. We went out to dinner. We just had so much fun. We went to so many different places together. We laughed, we had so much fun. But through that weekend, some things happened inside of me. And one of my friends just kept saying, Janelle, you're just such a codependent, you know, you need to really look more at codependency. And she was earnest and was really trying to help. And I was like, girl, I got codependency, I understand. <laughs> I. I grew up in an alcoholic home. I understand. I've studied it. I read Melody Beattie way back when I was a young woman. I get it. I've I had the codependency devotional. I've read so many things. And I was nagged, really, aggravated. Not because of her, because she was earnest. She earnestly was trying to help me. But on the way home and we were talking, I just kept going, no, it's not that. I know it's not that. And lo and behold, somehow that Monday after that weekend, I receive an email to participate in this incredible course by a wonderful woman named Dr. Diane Heller, Diane Poole Heller, and it was all about attachment. And just reading the introduction to the course, I was like, oh, this, this is my problem. This is it. I signed up for that course faster than anybody could, and I took it. It was 12 arduous weeks to earn a certificate in attachment theory. I studied. I wrote papers. I researched. I immersed myself. It was the biggest missing piece to my personal true self puzzle, and it changed my life in manifold ways. And so within attachment theory, there are four unique approaches. We have secure attachment, insecure attachment, ambivalent attachment, and then ambivalent uh, disordered attachment. So different schools of thought name them different things, which is typically the case in the world of psychology and psychiatry and counseling. But... So I took a little test and I will put that test up for you over on our Facebook page so that you can actually take this and understand. And we will continue to identify ways that we, if we did not have this privilege, because <laughs> I think it is a privilege and honor. It is the greatest gift. Can you tell how passionate I get? The greatest gift that we can be given by our parents, particularly our mother, because she is our primary caregiver. She holds us in her womb. She holds us at her breast. Uh, she holds us and feeds us. She 
responds when we cry. Those early, early days, you know, when we, when our little attacher is developing, it's such a gift. And I will pound the table. I will speak to as many families and women and people as I can to say, please, please pay attention and give your child this beautiful gift of secure attachment. The latest research in neurobiology, which you know we talk a lot about here, shows that emotional safety is one of the most important aspects of a satisfying connection in a loving relationship. So that's why we're starting here. Emotional connection is the rudiment. It's one of the most important aspects of having meaningful personal relationships. We need to feel safe before we're able to be vulnerable. And as the the brilliant Brene Brown reminds us, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, accountability, empathy, and authenticity. Some people get turned off by the idea of prioritizing safety in their relationship because they equate a safe relationship with a boring one. But it turns out that the secure relationship we all long for, right, is cultivated best when we feel safe. So today is about secure attachment, yes. But the deeper undercurrent in attachment is feeling safe with a person. And I will go as far as saying feeling safe with ourselves. You know, I've talked about this in episodes prior, that personality is how we show up for life. It's how we've learned to manage life. It's our coping, our defense mechanisms. It's our strategies for survival. Our true self, our essence is that God-breathed self, that one that prior to our family of origin, prior to life or coaches or teachers or whoever shaped and formed us throughout our life, our true self, our essence is who we really are. But we, because we are humans, we are a little less apt to show our true essence, be our true self, all of our true self, the good, the bad, and the ugly, unless we feel safe. So on the blog, as you've read, I shared a lot about how my husband, Rob, 36 years ago, actually, when I met him, what I didn't know at the time But what I've now discerned and figured out is that I felt really safe with him. I share the story on the blog. You can read it, uh, 35 Years Strong, about how we went to the Outer Banks, our happy place, from the very beginning. And one day we were just there uh, with another couple. None of us were dating. We were just having a fun day at the beach. And Rob took a surfboard out and I went out and I maybe he was going to teach me how to surf. I don't remember. But somehow we ended up just floating on the surfboard. It was a calm day, unusual at the Outer Banks. And I just remember we talked and we talked. And I think that I must 
the sun must have melted away, the water must have washed away, any pretense, any pageant quaffed hair and high heel shoes and splashy gowns, or because that's who I was at that time. And in his presence, I just became myself. I didn't even know her at that time, but he began to bring her out. And that's where I began to fall in love with this man because of the fact that I felt so safe and secure in his presence. And I still do today. And I believe he actually felt the same way as well. Neither one of us would have been able to identify that as secure attachment or feeling secure or feeling safe. That's more of a language that has, you know, really come into being in the past 20 years, maybe. But feeling safe with a person is really so, so fundamental. And it's it's actually proven because a, a researcher, pioneer in the field of neuroscience, Stephen Porges, don't know if I'm saying that right, and one of the world's leading experts on the autonomic nervous system confirms that we have an imperative need for safety deeply wired into our minds and bodies. Please hear me here. His polyvagal theory describes how our autonomic nervous system mediates safety, trust, and intimacy through a subsystem he calls the social engagement system. Our brain is constantly detecting through our senses whether we are in a situation that is safe, dangerous, or life-threatening. When our body and mind experience safety, like I did floating on that surfboard 36 years ago, our social engagement system enables us to collaborate, listen, empathize, and connect, as well as be creative, innovative, and bold in our thinking and ideas. This has benefits for our relationships as well as our lives in general. Now, this beautiful article I'm reading that I'll post, the author writes, most couples that he sees in his practice aren't dealing with life-threatening situations, but instead, and maybe you'll identify here, and, and I absolutely, these are the clients that I see, instead of navigating chronic relationship disconnection, tension, defensiveness, or irritability that signals danger to their senses, which ultimately takes a toll on their relationship. Okay, I read that wrong. Most couples aren't dealing with life-threatening situations. Instead, they are navigating chronic relationship disconnection, which involves tension, defensiveness, or irritability. And that's what's taking a toll on their marriage. So what do we do about this? You know, I don't ever like to talk about anything unless we give some opportunities for helping ourselves become more secure and more not only find safe people, but be the safe person. One of the biggest things that I've grown in my private practice with my clients is that I just, I like to lean back and hold the space and be that safe person in whose presence they feel they can share the deep traumas of their lives, and and as a result of that, feeling safe and trusting me, 
they then can heal. So today's simple yet most difficult step. Yeah, I'm going to go here. If anything today has resonated with you and you think, oh my goodness, maybe that's how, why, where, when, and why I can't connect or feel emotional intimacy with my partner, with my husband or wife, with my children, with my, name it. I mean, I definitely have had moms in my practice who they, they, because they did not receive secure attachment, were unable to give their newborn attachment. So I help them. I work with them. I develop that capacity within them, which is difficult. Yes, but it's possible. And that's the good news of today's conversation. If after listening today or going over to our private Facebook page, Speak Healing Words, uh, you sense maybe I am experiencing ambivalent attachment. I'm experiencing um, insecure attachment. And I'm going to read a little. I know we're going a little long today, but it's very important. So hear me turning the pages. Let me read just a little bit about each of the attachment styles. And you can say, huh, I may have some of that in me. And that's why I can't connect. And so I want to make sure that I have secure attachments. So I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some help from a therapist, counselor, life coach um, that specializes, that actually understands how attachment theory works and how it can be developed in my life. So shortly, here is just a little bit on each. So we understand secure attachment, right? I shared that already. Attachment researchers found that they could categorize the quality of relationships babies had with their main caregivers by observing how these babies responded to everyday stressful situations. So this was the beginning of uh, developing the core, what that became to we now know as attachment theory in the mid 20th century were research, research, oh my goodness, researchers John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And so this is the research they did. And they, they f- took these babies into everyday stressful situations and they grouped their responses into three distinct categories, secure, insecure, anxious, and insecure, avoidant. Now remember, different schools of thought add different names. There's an ambivalent in one school of thought. But just for today's conversation, secure, insecure, anxious, and insecure, avoidant. So the earlier researchers noted that when stressed, babies with secure attachment showed their distress in an observable way. But their response was not excessive. These babies seemed relaxed about seeking help and more often had interactions with their caregivers that ended in their being calmer and ready to move on from the stressful event. That's an important little statement there. They were able, they had the capacity to calm and soothe themselves or be calmed and soothed and then move on. They didn't stay in that heightened state of anxiety. So... Babies with insecure, anxious attachment 
tended to respond to the same stressful events with more extreme crying and distress. They sought their caregiver, but also appeared to reject the caregiver's attempts to provide relief. Oh my goodness, I know this is a lot. For these anxious babies, researchers observed more labored interactions that did not result in a fully soothed baby. Okay. Babies with insecure avoidant attachment were less likely to cry during stressful situations and appeared indifferent about getting help from their caregivers. To the untrained eyes, the babies looked fine, but researchers later discovered that elevated stress hormones in their bodies told a different story. They were affected by stress, but they didn't show it. Now I'm reading from a fabulous workbook called The Attachment Theory Workbook by Annie Chen, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am so grateful, Annie Chen, for you taking the time to make this such a simple workbook, and I use it in my practice all the time. She continues, it may not surprise you to learn that babies grow into adults who develop versions of these secure, anxious, and avoidant attachments that can be readily identified in their relationships. Of course, adult relationships involve a lot more complexity, but it almost always boils down to this. When we get close to someone and come to depend on them, in stressful moments, we show our true attachment style. A fully accurate assessment of your attachment style is more complicated than this, but if you think about your closest relationships, you can probably get a basic sense of it. Think about close relationships you've had with romantic partners or in long-term friendships. In the course of those relationships, you're likely encountered a variety of stressors during those stressful times. If you've typically expect that you can count on your relationship partners for help and comfort, then you are secure. You have a secure attachment style. But let's say you encounter stress and don't have this natural expectation of safety and support. Maybe you aren't sure your relationship partners will help you and you don't feel as if you can count on them to be there for the way you need them to be. If you've developed an insecure style, either anxious or avoidant, you are more likely to fear either being abandoned or being overwhelmed by another person. As a result, you are less likely to engage in a way that makes you feel better. <sighs> Boy, I could just go on and on, but that is enough for today. That's a lot. So maybe something you've heard today You've recognized how you respond in a stressful situation. Do you pull away from someone? Do you avoid? Do you feel numb? Do you feel overpowered? Or do you feel secure as if I am definitely know that I'm okay, even though I'm in a stressful situation? So I hope today has just been a primer, uh, uh, an introduction. Perhaps I can save you some time in wondering, oh, that's what it is. It's attachment. 
And attachment theory and attachment work is a very big part of my private practice. And I have of late, since becoming a certified practitioner in aroma freedom technique, seen leaps and bounds of growth in my clients who suffer with insecure attachments just by the beautiful techniques and the beautiful work of Aroma Freedom. So if you want more information, the beauty of FaceTime, the beauty of Skype, the beauty of Zoom is that we can work together no matter where you are in this world. And I look forward to that. May you be blessed today. May you be taking the very first steps towards having secure attachment in your life because trust me, when you do, your relationships with yourself, with your spouse, with your partner, with your family members, with everyone in your life is so much better. That's what I have for today. Follow me over on uh, Facebook at Speak Healing Words, Speak Healing Words, the community, or on Instagram. And if you would be so kind today and you have gotten anything from this podcast, would you please leave a review? I'd be so grateful. We want as many people as we can to hear healing words that enable them to become their very best God-breathed self. So leave that review and I'll just be so grateful. So join me, visit me at JanelleRearden.com and let's do this together. We're so much better together. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com. 